I'm Scott Paul, and this is the Manufacturing Report. We want to make sure that as we're building back better, that we're building back better with an understanding that we don't just need to have a physical infrastructure plan for how it is that we're going to build roads and bridges and invest in broadband and utilities and manufacturing. We need to have a workforce plan as well. President Biden's infrastructure bill presents a historic opportunity for America to repair its crumbling roads, schools, airports, and so much more. And it could create millions of family-supporting jobs. But how do we ensure that workers are equipped with the skills necessary to do this work and that these valuable jobs benefit those who need them the most? Today, I speak with Andy Van Clunen, founder and CEO of the National Skills Coalition. The coalition of which I am board chair was founded in 2000 to advocate for a national commitment to inclusive, high-quality worker skills training. My conversation with Andy, next on the Manufacturing Report. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Of course. So, you know, we've worked together for a number of years on these important issues, uh, could you share with our audience a bit about what the National Skills Coalition is and what it does? Sure. So National Skills Coalition started up about 20 years ago when we recognized that if we wanted to have a, an effective economic policy in this country, that we needed to get back to doing what we used to do to build our economy, which was invest in our people, and particularly to make it easier for folks who want to get into industries like manufacturing, construction, transportation, healthcare, a lot of really good jobs in those industries, but they don't necessarily require a four-year college degree, but they do require some real skills training. And that's the kind of things that we had gotten away from as a country when we talk about, taught about both education policy and economic policy in the U.S. And so National Skills Coalition brought together business leaders, labor leaders, community organizations, community colleges, workforce boards, others to try to change that conversation about who we should be investing in as a country to grow our economy and looking at training people for those technical jobs that have been the backbone of the U.S. economy both in the past and we think moving forward into the future. And so we do that work. We bring folks into Washington to have those conversations with folks in the administration and in Congress. And then we have a whole network of coalitions that are working uh, in the states as well to make sure that we're making that case to governors and state legislatures and other folks like that. And I would say, as obviously I'm not a neutral observer here since I do serve as the board chair, but one of the things that's been striking to me about the Skills Coalition is its ability to engage with a variety of governors without regard to their party affiliation. Uh, and the same goes uh, for the Congress and for uh, the executive branch as well. And that leads us into, I think, this very important conversation about what's happening now with this ambitious Build Back Better agenda. And we, we, we may be poised to make major investments in our physical infrastructure, which I think we all agree are long overdue. But in order to make that a successful venture from a good jobs perspective, I know that you have been arguing, uh, and I think pretty persuasively, that there needs to be a major investment in uh, workforce development and training that goes along with that. So why is that the case? And where do things stand right now? 
Scott, if you take a look at what's happened uh, in our country over the past year and a half with the pandemic, you know, we knew once everything started shutting down back in March 2020, that as the economy was going to come back online, it was not going to be this V-shaped recovery that I think some folks were hoping for, that as quickly as things shut down, they were going to come, come back up. We knew that there was going to be different trajectories out of this recession for different industries and for different groups of working people, right? So if you, and obviously, because you pay so much attention to what's been going on in manufacturing in the U.S., you know, we actually did, did see some recovery. I mean, I think now our production levels are probably back to where they were pre-pandemic, despite the fact that there have been some pretty significant headwinds holding manufacturing back. I mean, I'm sure you've been covering all the things around the trouble with some of our supply chains and getting materials and, and other things to manufacturers here in the U.S., there's also been a workforce challenge as well. And you know, we had troubles even before the pandemic. There are lots of manufacturers that we work with, both you know, international firms as well as you know, smaller firms that are you know, 50 or so person shops. All of them have had different versions of a challenge of finding folks with the right skills for this rapidly changing manufacturing sector that we have here in the US. And you know, all the technology and digitalization and network production has really kind of raise the bar about who it is that we're looking for to be coming in even as an entry-level worker in manufacturing these days. And because we as a country have not been doing enough to invest in a range of folks to be prepared to go into manufacturing, we've always had these issues where we've had manufacturers who have worked, but they haven't been able to find folks with the right skills at that time to fill those jobs. And so that is continuing to be a problem for manufacturers today. Uh, it's part of one of the things that's holding back the full manufacturing recovery that we would like to see in the U.S. And I think that that story is a different version of that story for lots of different industries in our country. So whether it's our desire to update our broadband systems where we have a shortage of uh, skilled telecommunications workers. Um, part of what we've been talking about uh, in the Build Back Better plan is improving things like our energy utilities and our water utilities. Well, you know, the average age of skilled workers in those sectors is in their upper 50s. We have a huge number of uh, retirements where it is we're losing that skilled workforce and we don't have a strategy for having a pipeline of new folks readily skilled and ready to move into the jobs that those folks have been occupying for the past 20 or 30 years. And so, we want to make sure that as we're building back better, that we're building back better with an understanding that we don't just need to have a physical infrastructure plan for how it is that we're going to build roads and bridges and invest in broadband and utilities and manufacturing. We need to have a workforce plan as well, because if we don't, the things that we want to get off the ground with these significant investments, we're just not going to have enough workers ready to jump in to do that work, because in some industries like manufacturing, like construction, we're already seeing that those, those industries are short workers right now. We wanna make sure that we're building a pipeline of folks now that we're gonna be creating new employment opportunities. And particularly from National Skills Coalition's perspective, because the impacts of this pandemic have been so disproportionately borne by folks in service sectors or so the retail and hospitality sectors, disproportionately uh, workers of color, Women have been much more impacted by this recession than prior recessions that we've had in the past, in part because of the child caring responsibilities that many of them have, uh, in addition to, to working and the lack of support for that. So there's a set of other things that we want to make sure that we're doing to make sure that folks of color, folks without a bachelor's degree, 
um, women, others who've met, who have not had opportunities to get into some of the skilled sectors like manufacturing, construction, that we're making these workforce investments as part of the infrastructure package so that we're diversifying who it is that has a chance to get into these good jobs and not just a job for now, but a long-term career that these will be the people who will be leading these sectors into the future because we've invested in them now to give them a basis of being part of that future skilled workforce. So you forcefully stated the case, and I think persuasively, about why we need to make these investments. What is your level of optimism that Congress and the Biden administration is going to come to some agreement uh, that we could get a game-changing investment? There's a lot of variables that extend well beyond the workforce conversation here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But do you feel like your voices are being heard on Capitol Hill uh, and within the administration? Folks might be familiar if they've been following what's been going on in the back and forth between uh, the Biden administration and Congress about right now, the two big bills that we're looking at is this uh, trillion dollar infrastructure package, which is only looking at the physical investments in infrastructure, and then another three and a half trillion dollars worth of investments, which would include some of the workforce training things that we've been talking about, as well as a, a range of other things around expanding access to community college, childcare, things like that. And there's certainly a debate about what the top line number is going to be for those packages. So already, you know, the House of Representatives is looking at how does it they want to allocate some resources to those different uh, things that were proposed by President Biden. So for instance, President Biden asked for $100 billion in workforce training as part of the infrastructure package. They're looking at reducing that slightly to maybe $80 billion is what they're looking at right now. Again, because the overall number has been shrinking a little bit. Um, same way on the community college proposal, there was $100 billion, $109 billion in proposed investment. That's been, uh, been uh, trimmed down a little bit as well. I would say our biggest concerns is when things move to the Senate, that if we're going to radically change the overall price tag of this investment from $4.5 trillion to something significantly less than that, then we're really going to have some troubles about where it is that we're going to be making those cuts. We want to make sure that if, we're, if President Biden promised that this was going to be an economic recovery that was going to be focused on inclusion, we want to make sure that those most impacted by the pandemic were going to be part of the recovery coming out of it. If we don't have some investment in workforce training, uh, we're not going to be able to bring those retail workers and hospitality workers and folks in the tourism industry for whom many of their jobs are not coming back. We've got about 4 million folks who permanently lost their jobs because of contractions in those industries. Those industries have just dramatically changed. We need to have a strategy for, to get them into some of these really exciting careers in manufacturing and construction and telecommunications and things like that. But it's going to require some investment on our nation's part to get them onto a pathway to do that. So I think we've got some, we still have some work to do. Thankfully, we've got businesses from all over the country, labor unions, community colleges, community organizations who've been contacting Congress about this. We've had members of the Biden cabinet, uh, Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, and others who've been out there talking about how essential the investments in people are as part of the infrastructure package moving forward. So I think there's a lot of people around the country uh, and as you mentioned, no, this is not a partisan issue. So we have lots of Republican governors, lots of Republicans uh, around the country who think this should be part of the package. So it's not just from a Democratic administration, but Republicans as well. We just need to get Congress to embrace that and make sure that it's part of the, the final thing that makes the president's desk in a couple months. Thank you. I, I'm hopeful that uh, the Senate will understand that 
these are issues that have broad voter support um, and that we can get this over the finish line because uh, I, I, I agree with you that the two go hand in hand. Andy, I wanted to widen the lens a little bit uh, beyond this specific policy debate and kind of marry two concepts here. One is this future of work idea, which I know we've had many conversations about, and the future of work conversation has evolved over decades from you know, what the impacts of automation and digitization, uh, and now with the pandemic and, it, and its effects, it's taken another turn uh, as well. Um, underscoring the need to kind of reshore some supply chains and manufacturing and just, you know, what industries are going to grow, what what are going to shrink, along with another very important issue, which I think is more in the front and center of the public's attention right now. And those are the inequities that we find in our society, both uh, in terms of racial inequities, uh, but also in terms of the opportunities that Americans have, particularly those who don't necessarily uh, want to or will be able to have a four-year college degree. And we can get into the nitty-gritty here, but I think more broadly, I I know this is one of the issues that the industry recovery panel uh, panels that the National Steels Coalition has developed. I served on the manufacturing panel, but there were others tried to tackle. But what do you see as the path forward for some of this um, to to align these goals, both to have a stronger manufacturing base, to reshore some of this, to ensure that we have skilled workers in some of these uh, emerging fields where there's going to be a need, and also uh, address some of these inequities that have built up, obviously, over a very long time, some of which are systemic uh, and some of which are in practice and policy as well. Yeah, I mean, these are huge issues, um, but let's just like, like take an, a very specific example. So you mentioned, you know, the onshoring of some production here, which we think makes sense. So, you know, if anybody's tried to buy a car or a truck uh, these days, um, you know that it's hard to find them. And part of that is because of this supply chain disruption. We can't get the computer chips uh, uh, that are necessary for uh, for vehicle production here in the U.S. And so, you know, the Biden administration decided, look, let's we need to have a domestic onshore semiconductor uh, production strategy uh, here in the United States. And so there's probably going to be something around $50 billion worth of investment just to figure out how to expand that sector here in the United States. Uh, but I can tell you that there are manufacturers, Commerce Department, and others who say, like, we're not really sure, like, whether or not we actually have enough skilled folks out there if we were to start to in- expand this sector. Like, we're, what are the good training models that we have? What's going to be the pipeline of future workers for this part of our manufacturing base? Um, the supply chain thing is a hard thing to solve, but at least with public policy that part of the challenge, the workforce challenge, we can actually solve with, with a relatively modest investment to just make it easier for folks to train for these jobs and to do it in partnership with local industry. And at the same time, we can do it in a way to address some of those equity issues that you raised, Scott. Um, how is it that we, we can make sure that people who have not traditionally worked in manufacturing, that we can bring more women into the sector, that in some parts of the country, we can bring more uh, workers of color into the sector. We can bring more young people into the sector who don't really understand what a career opportunity there is for them in 21st century manufacturing here in the United States. 
we can solve both of those problems, both the workforce supply issue and the equity issue by making smart, targeted investments in workforce training programs developed in partnership with local industry and making sure that we're doing that so that we're helping both small manufacturers as well as larger manufacturers being part of, of the solution. So I think that, you know, you mentioned this manufacturing industry recovery panel, and it's so great to, that you were willing to participate on that and, and add your expertise along with a lot of other folks. That solution for manufacturing is going to be slightly different than what we're going to have to do to make sure that we've got a continually upskilling healthcare workforce, how it is that we're going to address the change in retail and hospitality, which is going to be a reduced sector, uh, much more digitized than it's ever been. Uh, so how is it we're going to keep some workers in that sector and help others of them move into things like manufacturing and healthcare? Uh, what we're going to do in all of these different infrastructure sectors, how we're going to make that part of local planning when we're figuring out how we're going to build a new water treatment plant, who's going to participate in being part of the road and bridge building here in our community, and can we create new avenues for folks who live right here who have traditionally not worked in construction or not worked in um, the utility sector to give them a chance to be part of that solution. So these are all huge problems, but with a relatively modest investment in workforce training, we can start to solve both of them at the same time. We just need to get Congress on board with that concept, because certainly, as you said, folks out in the country are fully on board with that. You ask people what they think about, uh, should we have an investment in worker training as part of this infrastructure package? 88, 89% of responding voters across Republican, Democrat, and Independent believe that that should be a central tenant of this infrastructure package moving forward. We hope Congress pays attention to that. That's like mom and apple pie. So, Amen. Well, good. Well, Andy, I want to congratulate you, the entire team at the National Skills Coalition for elevating these issues and obviously for the network of folks who are both administering and engaging with this work and overseeing it uh, throughout the country uh, every day. It's, it's an honor not only to be speaking with you, but to be a part of this very important effort at the National Skills Coalition. Well, so Scott, I got to thank you. Um, first, thanks for inviting me in for the conversation. But, um, you know, your leadership and the leadership shown by the Alliance for American Manufacturing has just been so essential to help us understand what it is that manufacturing in the U.S. needs today and where it is that our work on education and training policy can be part of that solution. So um, you've just been an incredible leader on that. And we continue to look forward to working with you and AAM on this into the future. Kenny Van Clunen, thank you for joining us on the Manufacturing Report. That will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. To learn more about the National Skills Coalition, you can visit nationalskillscoalition.org. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Kat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And I also want to thank you, the listeners, for engaging with us and for giving us some great episode ideas. Please be sure to subscribe to the Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And let us know what you think by leaving a review and a rating. We'd be grateful. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and you can tweet us at KeepItMadeInUSA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.